Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. My name's Christine. Uh, Battersea and Westside are having their own services today. Uh, Jose and Helen are preaching there. So here we are. Hello, Balaam, and hello online. And this is the next part of our series on counterfeit gods and is about generosity. And Viv spoke about money last week. And if you hear a little faint echo of what Mike's just said, he stole my best lies. <laughs> But what she said is scary and amazing and wonderful, and do check it out. Now, um, I've got a, quite a few stories to tell you today. And one is about my very dear friend in Texas called Renee. She was our life group le leader when Ian and I lived there 20 years ago. And she's now my spiritual director. And she is such a blessing to me. And we meet online about once a month, and she'll read a couple of verses from the Bible to start us off, and they usually make me cry. It's, oh, it's gorgeous. Um, last time we met in October, she said her verses, and they made me laugh. It was from Psalm 71, verse 18, in a translation called The Voice. And it starts... Now, as I grow old and my hair turns gray, I ask that you not abandon me, O God. Allow me to share with the generation to come about your power. Let me speak about your strength and wonders to all those yet to be born. You can see why I laughed, didn't you? Old and gray, yep. Not abandoned, nope though Ian and I have had a pretty rough time recently. God's with us right the way through it. Um, and what about the generation to come, those yet to be born? What was that about? I did wonder if this is going to be a life-changing talk for all of you so that your kids and your spiritual kids will just learn from you and the world will be changed. Let's see what happens, shall we? Now, um, if you don't know Jesus or you don't know much about him, I do hope that the next 20 minutes or so will at least be interesting to you. And hopefully you might want to know more, and if so, you are in the right place. The passage I've been given is 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 15. And the title in my Bible is Generosity Encouraged. And Paul's writing to the church, he started in Corinth about AD 50, and it was on his second ministry, missionary journey. It was about 20 years after Jesus had died and rose again. And if you've got a Bible with maps and diagrams, I'm sure you'll have a picture somewhere full of colored lines or dots showing where Paul traveled on his three missionary journeys. He was preaching, teaching, starting churches, and regularly getting beaten up and thrown into jail. Um, I've got 
some members of our very lovely life group here today to help me do the readings. There was going to be four of us, but, but we're down, but still lovely. So would you like to come up, Saskia and Ian? And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Continuing, so we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is, not ex is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. Thanks, guys. It's nice to have helpers, isn't it? Um, I've been reading two books by Tim Keller. He's a very well-known American preacher. And one is Counterfeit Gods that this course is based on. And the other one is called Preaching. And I have to tell you that if you were at the preaching training yesterday, trust me, you will be reading Tim Keller too. <laughs> and on the road to Emmaus, when the two heartbroken disciples didn't recognize the risen Jesus, Luke 24 said, Jesus told them, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? and then enter his glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus was telling his disciples that unless you understand who he is and what he came to do, you can't understand either God's salvation or the Bible itself. Now, normally when I'm preaching, I love to have three points feels so satisfying. But if I'm preaching Christ, I couldn't find three points in this text. 
there's only one, and it stands out to me, verse 9. Here it is again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for our sake, he became poor, so that you, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. And this is the point for the talk today. And it's become the point for the rest of my life. I knew it before, but I know it now. And hopefully you know it too. And for those who don't know and love Jesus yet, this might be a good point for you to investigate. We're spiritually poor because sin had come into the world when Adam and Eve disobeyed God. The apple incident may seem weird to some people today, but I don't think anybody in this room can say there is no sin in the world. Jesus had infinite wealth, and if he stayed in heaven and kept his infinite wealth, we would be spiritually poor. If Jesus became poor, gave up all he had, our sins would be paid for. We would be forgiven and admitted to the family of God. God couldn't forgive us without the price being paid. His character won't let him. Unless payment is made for sin, we're not forgiven. That's justice. And Jesus decided to be that price. To give up his life for us. And that's mercy. So Jesus chose to do this to give up his heavenly treasure, to make us his treasure. Paul's saying, really look at Jesus dying on the cross, dying to make us his treasure. Will we make him ours? Will you take your love of money, all the thing, things it does to give you status and security, will you take it off your throne and put Jesus back in his rightful place. Mike's told us we can't get rid of false idols. We have to replace them. And knowing that Jesus has made us his treasure may help us to take that big fat pound sign off the cross and put Jesus back where he belongs. It may help us stop looking at money to satisfy all our needs, our needs of food and shelter, our needs of esteem and acclaim, our need to get as much as the bloke next door has, maybe even our need to get more than the bloke next door. It may help us to make sure that we let Jesus' costly grace turn us into generous people, living the abundant life that John promised in 1010. Here it is visually. The cross proves God, God's love for us. His love gives us status. John 1.12, we are children of God. His love gives us security. Matthew 28.20, he will be with us always. His love gives us blessings. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow. And moving on from those lovely words, he's a very, very impressive 
quote from Tim Keller. Behavioral compliance to rules without complete change of heart will be superficial and fleeting. Faith in the gospel, Jesus dying for us, effectively restructures our motivation, our self-understanding, and our identity. My briefing notes said to be sure to remind you to keep developing our hearts to be free from idols. Remember Viv last week talked about her heart position. Money has legs and it keeps trying to walk back onto the throne. So how do we develop this heart position? We daily look to Jesus with thankfulness and gratitude, expressing our overwhelming love for him and what he has done and what he still does for us. Doing that daily should effectively kneecap money and keep it right in its place. Um, I'm aware that these subjects of power and love and money are very sensitive. And some people have had extremely painful experiences in the past. And if you're one of those people, I pray that you won't have been hurt any more by these talks. We pray that God will send his spirit to those places of pain and hurt and bring his healing presence. Moving on. What about those people in Macedonia? They got the point, didn't they? The message version says they were incredibly happy, though desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected, an outpouring of pure and generous gifts. They gave offerings of what they could, far more than they could afford, pleading for the privilege of helping out the relief of poor Christians. Who does that remind us of? Well, as every Sunday school kid knows, whatever the question, the answer is Jesus. Always Jesus. Um, but which bit? Well, Hebrews 12.2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And for the joy set before them, the Macedonians wanted to give. Give all they had. Give out of their poverty. They begged to be able to give. It was like they could taste, see, feel the joy that being generous would bring. And that sort of story lifts your heart, doesn't it? <clears throat> I've got another story about joy, not quite as grand as this Macedonian one, but it lifted the hearts of people in San Antonio, Texas, 20 years ago. It was at the American National Leaders Conference. Um, our pastor, Bert Wagoner, was the national director, and making his uh, opening address to thousands present, he talked about the exciting time that was to come. And we could feel the excitement, taste the joy. But then he said that all the people in the shops and restaurants and hotels in San Antonio were dreading this week. 
they'd heard the Christians were coming to town. And in their experience, Christians were mean in all senses of the word, eating cheaply, tipping stingily, disapproving of everything, oozing fundamental misery, the lot. So Bert's first words were, wherever you go, be nice and tip big. And we've tried to do that ever since. Um, Bert wanted us, us to help change the mindset of people serving us and let them see the joy and generosity and freedom we have in being children of God. It worked at the conference. We heard stories of joy throughout the city. And as I say, it worked for us. We've always now made a point of giving a Bert tip. And if we can't do that, then we stay home. It's a small thing, but people notice that. And God is glorified. And isn't that the point? God is glorified. Viv says last week, it's his money and we're stewards of it. It's his. He gave us everything he had so generously so that we can be generous. We're stewards, God's money managers, sowing joy from his storehouse, not miserly squeezing out pennies from our guilt trip or from whatever we have left over. God is generous. Do you remember Shakira's story last week? That was fabulous, wasn't it? So say to your neighbor, we don't need money to make us feel secure. We don't need money to give us status. Thanks, team. So while you're pondering that, let's move on to the Corinthians. It looks like the Corinthians had started a collection, and then strife, busyness, whatever, got in the way, and they stopped. Paul urges them to get back to their generous ways of giving to match their other riches. He said to them, finish the work. Do you have any stopped giving issues in your life? Something you started but never followed through properly? Is this a season to reflect on past promises? The lovely Tim Keller says again, the single most practical life skill for Christians is the ability to repent and to do it quickly. When Ian and I were at New Wine in 2018, there was a fabulous preacher there called Darren Ruenzoin. And he and his wife had planted a church in Long Beach, California, the downtown bit of Long Beach, California, the deprived bit, not the lovely bit. And he told us a story about the time that he and his family decided to take on an additional compassion child every year. You like this story. It's a lot less challenging than um, the story where God told him to sell their house, um, give the money to the poor, and move back into the neighborhood. That's a challenging story. In fact, it was so challenging, Daniel said, would you give that same message to my wife? Because I don't want to do that. <laughs> God did. Um, 
That reminds me of people from our churches who go and live on the estates, isn't it? We have chances to be generous. Or there was a story of when Darren and his church decided to send the baskets round a second time in a service. And the super generous could put more money in and those who had needs could take it out. Wow. Takes a secure church to do that. <laughs> no, the Compassion Kids got us, Ian and I. We'd had a couple of Compassion Kids, but we never got round to writing to them. We were always too busy. But repenting, we decided to follow Darren's example. And now we have seven lovely children that we sponsor. And we write faithfully every few weeks and send them photos of us and tell them what Jesus is saying and doing in our lives, asking them how they're getting on. And they write back. We have one child, a boy called Elvis in Kenya. And he told us that he spent the birthday money we sent him buying bricks to repair the family house. Saturday mornings, the kids all go to their projects, so we go over to where their photographs are and we pray for them. Money alone isn't enough. We need to be generous with our time and our prayers as well. And I have to tell you, the joy of getting those letters is beautiful. Something to note, God isn't interested in the amount. Paul says, do it according to your means. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. And there are some exceptionally rich people like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, and they give away billions and encourage their super rich film friends to do the same. But at the opposite end of the scale in Luke 21, here's this story. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very, very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in much more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty and put in all she had to live on. Imagine that window. Can you see her? Imagine she's quite tiny and she quietly and gently goes up to the ten temple treasury and slips in those two coins. Those coins are called mites. And I read somewhere that a mite is worth six minutes of a daily wage. And she had two and she put them both in. And Jesus noticed. I also imagined the rich bloke. And I imagined him slam dunking a spare bag of gold into the treasury pot. Who knows? Now I have a friend called Linda. And she's given me permission to tell this story. Years ago, she felt called to be a missionary in France. And everybody in the community that she was living in lived by faith, um, relying on the generosity of friends and family for everything. 
And just before she went, she read about somebody who decided to give away 50% of the income. So she decided she would give away 50% of her income. She didn't have much to start with, but gave away half. And if anybody gave her something pretty to wear, she would make sure she gave that away as well and wear the ugly stuff. And crunch time came. Um, her dad phoned her up and said, why haven't we heard from you? And she burst into tears and had to confess that she didn't have the money to buy a stamp to write home. Her dad wasn't a Christian. He did think her life choices were bonkers, but he did send her money and things got better. And it was at this point that God started talking to Linda. He said, you're my princess. I don't want you to live this way. He said, I don't want you to look careworn and unkempt. I want your life to show a picture of my love. So Linda changed her ways of living and giving. She now regularly asked God about what to do with her money, where to give it, and to whom. And I'm also very pleased to say she looks very different these days. Some French people are surprised to find she's actually English. She looks so chic. <laughs> are you afraid of living without money? David said, the Lord's my shepherd. I lack nothing. God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And Abraham goes to the desert and he says to the servants, wait here, we will go ahead and worship and we will come back. How was Abraham going to sort that out? He knew he wasn't. But he did know that God would sort it out. So he went off with his son Isaac and a large knife to kill him with. And he came back with Isaac. He trusted God and God came through. And that's so good for us to remember. But there is a cost to following Jesus. He looks at our hearts, he longs for our trust. But do you remember the story in Daniel 3? Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had a golden statue made of himself and he told everybody to worship the statue. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't you love those names? They said, no, no, we're not going to do it. We refuse. And Nebuchadnezzar said, you will be thrown into the burning furnace. And they said, throw us in the furnace then. The God we serve is able to deliver us. But even if he does not, we will not serve your gods or worship your image. Another good picture to keep in our minds. God will deliver us. And even if he does not, 
I don't want to serve a counterfeit God. Can we do that? I believe daily looking to him, remembering we're his treasure, asking for his wisdom and guidance and living in his generosity, we can make a good attempt. And if I fail, he won't be surprised. I've done it before. But I can do that life skill that Tim Keller's talking about and repent and try again. And I, I was going to stop the, uh, the talk here, but Friday night, we were watching a program on TV with the actor Brian Cox. And it was called How the Other Half Live. And he was contrasting extreme, obscene riches and devastating poverty. And it was for Ameri from America, but I have seen scenes like this here in the UK. Things like some people, even though they've got jobs, they have to go to soup kitchens and food banks or not eat that day. That's horrible. And it led me to come back to the script and add these thoughts. Paul said in the passage, the goal is equality. What can I do to solve these inequalities in the world? Not a lot. What can Jesus do about it? Everything. Remember the little boy's sandwich lunch became a banquet for 10,000 with lovely leftovers. The little boy had to play his part and then Jesus played his. So look to Jesus, see what he shows you, he wants you to play your part and join in. Co-work with Jesus. I can't eradicate poverty. Jesus can, but he wants me to help out by being generous with what he has given me. He said, the poor will always be with you. We will never overcome the power and greed of many people in the world, but that doesn't mean we do nothing. We can use our influence. People like Wilberforce and Shaftesbury and Martin Luther King all spoke out. They used their voices and changes happened. We all have some influence. We all have an MP we can write to, petitions we can sign, groups we can join, and we can pray. Peter and John went to pray, and they met a beggar who asked for money. And they said, we haven't any, but we'll give you what we have. They prayed and said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he did and went walking and leaping and praising God. And if I had any voice at all, I would sing that to you. But fortunately, I'm not going to. <laughs> and people noticed that lame beggar walking and leaping and praising God. And your generosity and your prayers may influence others to be generous and to pray. So, coming into land, could we have the band back? These stories hopefully give rise to questions. Who is on my throne? Whose money is it anyway? Who proved his love on the cross? And when have I experienced the joy of generous giving? 
When are you going to ask yourself these questions? Now, at the foot of the cross? Or later, when you're at home and you can read your Bible and your bank account statement? Remember to seek first the kingdom of God. Look at Jesus, then look at your giving. Seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And I think if you don't remember anything at all, just look at this slide. God says, hold everything lightly. Be prepared to let go of everything except my hand. Lord Jesus, would you bless us now? Would you write those words on our hearts? Would we be able to lean into you, hold on to you, and be generous children of God? But can we make sure it's you that we're hearing about what to give and where to give, that it's not guilt or emotion or anything, but just you, Lord, you directing us. Help us to be a generous people. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.